You are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. Over the last four Sundays, you've heard sermons, messages about those four I am statements. And our hope has been that we would continue learning and growing about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, and who Jesus is. Well, today we turn to another of the I am statements, the arguably the least well-known of the I am statements. You, you might say it's the, um, the ugly duckling of the I am statements or the last one picked for kickball on the playground of the I am statements. Um, we don't talk about this one as much, but Jesus said, I am the door for the sheep. Other translations say Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. You'll see, see both of those. He says this in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, right in the same context where he says, I am the good shepherd. So the idea of Jesus being the good shepherd and Jesus being the door are woven together. Jesus says the sheep recognize his voice and the sheep follow the shepherd. This statement from John 10 reminds us of the transfiguration, that experience that Jesus had on the mountain with a few of his disciples, where a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. So the sheep, the disciples, are encouraged repeatedly to listen to the shepherd, to listen for Jesus, and to follow that shepherd through the gate, through the door, on to new and abundant life. In our reading for today, which I'll get to in just a minute, there's also an acknowledgement of the reality of evil in the world, along with the promise of salvation. Now, we need to remember that the Greek word for save that's used in our reading for today and many other places in the Bible, it's a word sozo, S-O-Z-O is how it's transliterated into, into English. And that doesn't simply mean saved in the future, saved for heaven or something like that. It's fuller, deeper meaning. It kind of ties in with what Brenda was saying about the light shining right here and right now. Salvation is about here and now. It's about being healed and being made well and being made whole. So it's in that context that we hear this word salvation um, in our reading for today. So when Jesus says, I am the door, and he's saying it in the context of evil and salvation, he seems to be inviting his disciples to come through this door to get away from some evil and to experience this this wholeness, this wellness, this sense of salvation in this pasture. Door and gate imagery is common in the scriptures. It begins right from the the, the front, and, and, and the imagery suggests to us that we need to be attentive and even be, be alert that about these significant transitions. So Genesis chapter 4, right in the beginning of the Bible, God warns Cain, sin is lurking at the door, 
right? Fascinating, fascinating phrase. Sin's lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. In Exodus chapter 12, the Hebrew people are fleeing from oppression and slavery in Egypt, and they use a door to mark the doors with blood for the first Passover. Long, complicated story there, but the door was obviously important. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then in Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, we read, Listen, I am standing at the door and knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. So this door imagery runs through scripture and runs through our tradition as well. It's worth remembering that our Jewish sisters and brothers um, often will have what's called a mezuzah hung on their door frame, right? A little um, symbolic scroll, or sometimes it's an actual scroll, with words from the book of Deuteronomy written on them about loving God and loving one another. A reminder, every time you walk in and out of the house, um, that what is most important in our faith tradition. And of course, as members of the Reformed branch of the church, we would be remiss in talking about doors if we forgot to mention that Martin Luther launched the Reformation with his 95 theses, not by sending an email, not by writing a letter to the editor, but he posted them on the door of a church. And finally, one more illustration of why doors are important, just in case you're not convinced yet, as we approach the season of the day of Easter, the day when we celebrate resurrection, the Bible tells us that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. In other words, the door of the place of death had been opened. So doors are important in our faith journey, in our framework as people of faith, um, especially since in our reading today, which I'm going to get to in just a few seconds, you're finally you know, wondering, where's the reading today? It's, it's coming. Um, Jesus suggests in this reading that going through this door leads to life in all its fullness. Some translations say abundant life. It's this wonderfully evocative language that leads us into something new. So listen now for God's word from the New Century version of the Bible. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the door for the sheep. All the people who came before me were thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and the person who enters through me will be saved and will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy but I came to give life, life in all its fullness. Thanks be to God for the words of Scripture. Okay, so this is an educated congregation. We have a vocabulary quiz today. Does anybody know the word Lyman? L-I-M-E-N. Well, you're going to learn it if you didn't know it already. Lyman. I didn't know the word either till four, five, six years ago when words started appearing in a lot of articles I was reading about church and church life. Lyman, according to Wiktionary, online dictionary, one of many sources, um, says a Lyman is a threshold, an entrance, a, a commencement, a doorway. And you dig a little deeper, the Latin root of this word specifically means the um, sort of the base of a doorway. Um, 
So liminality has become a concept in church circles and other circles. This concept of um, liminality really reflects to a, a transitional time, an uncertain time, when a person, a group, or an organization is moving from one thing to another, on the threshold of something new. Several months ago, I read a book that was recommended by several of my pastor friends, and it's called How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. I was kind of wondering, why are so many people suggesting that book to me? But it's a good book. <laughs> How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going, Leading in a Liminal Season. The book was actually written just before COVID, but it's certainly relevant for our time in COVID. It was written by a woman named Susan Beaumont, a well-known church consultant. And in her book, right in the beginning, she gives some examples of what liminality looks like. Um, she talks about airports. We're neither here nor there. We're going somewhere new. She talks about New Year's Day, you know, or maybe right in the stroke of midnight, we're old year, new year. Something new is before us. She also talks about twilight in terms of the cycle of time each day as the, the light is changing. I suppose that could be in the morning or the evening. But these are all times and places of uncertainty and possibility. So in, in her book, she cites author Richard Rohr, known to some people in this congregation, a wonderful deep thinker, and he writes, the liminal space is the realm where God can best get at us because our false certitudes and are, fi are finally out of the way. This is the sacred space where the old world is able to fall apart and a bigger world is revealed. So there's an invitation right from the beginning, this is on like page four of the book, that this space of liminality, this time of uncertainty, is really a great time of possibility. So where we might be anxious in a time of liminality, Richard Rohr and others are encouraging us not to, not to dismiss that anxiety, but to look to the future with a sense of hope. So it was published right before COVID, and COVID certainly has become a liminal time for us. We're in the midst of this thing that nobody ever experienced before, and we're not sure where it's going to lead, right? Another liminal aspect of our lives today is the political chaos in our culture, in our country. We're wrestling with complicated issues of race, and politics, well, politics in general, and, and elections, and economics, and all sorts of things, and not sure where it's all going. We're in a liminal season in our church as well, having conversations about staff transition, not only the one that we're talking about right now, but last fall, and in the next few months, three major staff transitions for our church. So we've got liminality all around us. And just to add to the church liminality, we're um, you know, coming back to the building slowly, carefully, cautiously. And as we're doing that, we're investing a lot of money in a brand new heating system for the other two wings of the building. It's replacing a heating system that I think was installed in the 1950s and it was used when we got it. So I think we got our money's worth out of that system. <laughs> but the point being, we're spending a lot of money on that and trying to figure out what does having a building mean today for being the church? And I've asked elders and deacons and staff to read a little book about church life. And one of the points the author makes is that it's time for churches with buildings to start thinking really creatively about how to open the doors, the doors, 
to the neighbors and stop saying, no, you can't come in, no, you can't use this, and find creative and faithful ways of using, using the building. So there's all sorts of liminal possibilities for us right now. As we face these situations with our world, with our country, with our church, it's vital that we as Christians are rooted and grounded and focused as much as possible, that we remember who we are and whose we are. So that's why, in part, during Lent, we've been kind of going back to the basics and looking at Jesus and talking about Jesus and trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You just saw eight people standing up here who made a commitment on the journey through this congregation to to, to, to make that real, and I think it's good for all of us to continually commit ourselves and recommit ourselves to figuring out what that means and how we do that on a daily basis, a weekly basis. So my, my hope is that with this series that we're in the midst of, and really any time, that we could continue to hear the voice of Jesus, you know, like the sheep hear the shepherd, that we could even take on the mind of Christ. There's that wonderful phrase in Philippians 2 about taking on the mind of Christ, to think like Jesus did in situations. And then last week in our wonderful sermon about the Good Shepherd, Clara invited us to sort of ask the question, what would Jesus have me do in this situation? So in this liminal time, in this time of uncertainty, we need to be clear about who we are and whose we are. And I'm hoping that our journey with John's gospel and these I am statements is helping us to be renewed as God's people and clear about at least the next step or two on the, the journey ahead. And I give thanks that Jesus is the bread of life that nourishes us. I give thanks that Jesus is the light of the world that shows us the way. I give thanks that Jesus is the vine that connects us and we are the branches. I give thanks that Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who tends us and the one who calls us forward. And I give thanks that Jesus is the door, the one who invites us to step across the threshold into uncertainty, into newness, but with a sense of trust that there are green pastures and still waters and somehow, some way that there's new, abundant life. Thanks be to God. Amen.